Well, hey, good morning. I'm Jesse, as Mark said, and I, I know it's normal for us to be in a, a different place as the church, and maybe not normal in our context, but as a Southern California kid, there's nothing normal about a 40-degree weather day, okay? So thank you so much for being here, being the church, and we are continuing our series through the King and the Kingdom. And we're just about near the end. If you've been with us, we've been going through Matthew for a long time. And we are getting to the point where Jesus is about to die and go through the resurrection. And this is kind of the final build-up part. And we've been going through chapters 22 through 24. And we've been, Jesus been talking about his second coming and his future anticipation. And so this morning, we're going to be a little bit talking about these. These are kind of the last words that Jesus talks about with his disciples before he leaves. And I don't know about you, but when someone shares last words with us, it causes us to pay attention, right? There's, there's some importance that Jesus is trying to emphasize to us this morning. And so in Matthew chapter 24, he says this to his disciples. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming. He would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Jesus spends really a lot of these last few chapters on one major thing that I am going to leave and I'm going to come back. And he's telling his disciples, hey, no one knows when I'm coming back. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. And his response, what he, what he says to his disciples is, be ready, stay awake, be prepared. It's going to come when you least expect it. And the Gospel of Matthew is pressing on us an important question this morning. Will we find ourselves ready for when Jesus comes back? When he returns, what will he find his people doing? His people, his people eagerly anticipating his arrival? Or people completely unprepared and unready? And I don't know about you, but I always like being prepared in my life. It's one of the worst feelings when you, you walk into something. And maybe there's a moment in your life that you can think of when you were unprepared. I had a moment in college. I, I got a job as a lifeguard at the, through the city. And I was already a lifeguard at the, a local YMCA. And so I, I, got the, I got the job. I was super excited. I had to go into City Hall where I was going to sign the paperwork and you know, do a brief orientation. And so, you know, me being a college young man thought, I'll just show up to this meeting, you know, after work dressed as a lifeguard. And I thought this would be totally fine. And I remember I walked into City Hall, you know, just thinking I was going to jump in. And I saw all the kind of other people that had just got hired with me. And I realized my mistake really, really in that moment I walked in, everybody was dressed up. They had slacks, like dress shoes. I mean like suits, ties. It was like an official meeting. And here I'm walking in as a lifeguard dressed in a tank top, shorts, and flip-flops. And I, I felt completely unprepared for that moment. I remember the person leading the meeting just gave me that like look of shame. Just, you know, you know what I mean? That's just, you sat there and just go, you know, do you normally show up to meetings like this? And I just was sitting there like, uh-oh. It was a really bad moment, right? We don't, I don't like being unprepared. And um, in my life, if you know a little bit about me, I, I like preparing for the future. And it wasn't so long ago that I was a youth pastor. I was working at a church. I was, I was dating a girl. I was preparing for a future, you know, preparing to have a family, get engaged, all those things. And everything fell apart in 2019 for me, right? For COVID hit. And it was downright one of the most disappointing seasons of my life. I lost a position at church. I, I lost my girlfriend. I was on the brink of proposing. 
I lost my community. I found myself working in a restaurant, working on weekends at just this restaurant, late hours and one in the morning, busting tables. Wondering what happened to all the, all the things that I had been preparing for, my future, what happened to my, my way of life, my, the ministry that, that God I thought had trusted me to do, and my dream of a future family, my, my friendships, the people that I had built relationship with. And as I reflected on this and what I had lost, I realized that all these were good things in my life that I had been preparing for, but they were all like temporal things. Things that, you know, come and go and, and they had nothing to do with eternal significance. And I was thinking about this passage this morning as we, we keep thinking about the kingdom and the kingdom and, and, and God's kingdom. It's what Jesus keeps talking about, his upside down kingdom. And I realized that I was always so focused on building my own little kingdom. That I that I'd really forgotten God's kingdom. And the things that I had mourned, they were things to mourn. But they really didn't have, my hope wasn't in the eternal things. And I, I wonder for us this morning as we go into Matthew chapter 25 that if any of us can relate to that, that, that so often we are, we are so focused on, on building our own little kingdoms that we forget. We get so caught in the weeds and our everyday life and all the things that are happening around us that we forget about His kingdom. And I think this is the tension that confronts us this morning as we get into Matthew chapter 25. And so if you have your Bible, your phone, or your tablet, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. We're going to read a parable that Jesus tells his disciples. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. We're going to go ahead and read the whole thing together. And Jesus said this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, for us, this parable might not be the most cited parable in terms of a popularity contest. This parable isn't the one that we recite mostly in our Sunday morning church. But nonetheless, it's important. And Jesus is using familiar imagery and context to communicate to his disciples a, a point. And he's using familiar wedding customs in first century Judaism. Virgin here could also be bridesmaids, right? They're, they're associated with this, this bridal party. And it might be a little different than our context with weddings, right? In Jewish first century context, man, it's a party. Weddings are a party. It's like a week-long festival. And what the bridesmaids do, they're going to escort the groom and the bride to this banquet, this marriage feast. And so Jesus tells this story, and there's pretty much two characters, right? There's these ten bridesmaids. And Jesus describes five as foolish, and five as wise. 
And the biggest thing that he notes is here, the first thing we need to know about the story is that the foolish bridesmaids, they don't bring oil for their lamps. And there's no electricity in this day and age like us, right? There's, they need fire because by the time the groom is going to come at night, it's going to be dark. And they need oil for the lamps to burn. You don't know if it's going to be delayed. And so Jesus notes in verse 3 that they don't bring oil. And as a result, they run out of oil. And when the bridegroom finally does arrive... The foolish bridesmaids are nowhere to be found. And as a result, at the closing parts of the story, they miss out on the epic wedding bank with the, the feast. And they refuse entrance into the party. The bridesmaids find themselves unprepared and unready. This is the first piece of the story that Jesus is going to say. In the same way, it applies to us this morning. Are we living our lives in a way that is prepared if Jesus was suddenly to come back? Are we also nowhere to be found? Are we caught elsewhere, occupying our lives with everything else the world has to offer? Where would Jesus find us? Where would he find you in your life? The the bridesmaids, the foolish ones, they are unprepared. And Jesus contrasts. The second thing we need to note is the the wise ones are prepared. They brought enough oil for the lamps. They they planned ahead. Just in case there was a delay, they brought enough oil. They're ready. They're present when they're coming to the bridegroom. And they're admitted entrance into the marriage fee. So Jesus is contrasting unprepared and prepared. And they find themselves prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. And they're ready despite the delay. And they're eagerly anticipating his arrival. They're excited. They're, they're waiting for it. They're prepared. And as, as I was thinking about this, this morning, I was, I was thinking about when I, a little story when I was young. We, my dad was a musician in L.A. growing up, and he worked late nights doing different shows, different things like that. And, and we loved our dad. I love my dad. And I remember me and my brother, we'd sit in this room, we had a window, and it kind of overlooked the street. And we would, we would peer at night because it'd be late. We'd try to, you know, try to stay awake as long as we could. Because we were so excited when my dad came home. My mom would try to push us to go to bed. And, and we would do our normal tasks, you know, brush our teeth. Mom would, you know, we'd have to like bargain with my mom. But we would, in some ways, we would do normal tasks. Like normal things that we would do. But they took on a whole new meaning. Right? Instead of brushing my teeth, I'm like super excited. Wondering if my dad's going to come home. And I'm moving my bed and looking out that window. And, you know, asking my brother, taking churns. And, and I think... There's, this, there's something similar here, I think, that Jesus is, is communicating to us. Because, like, we, we live lives. We're busy. We do a lot of things. And, and Jesus isn't saying to drop those things. But how we do those normal things, they take on a new meaning, right? As I peered out the window away from my dad, it's the same concept. We're eagerly anticipating that arrival that, that Jesus may one day come. We don't know when. And I think this season's a perfect illustration of that because what are we preparing for after Thanksgiving? Christmas. And there's always a debate when the Christmas music should start. It could be all year for some people. It's after Thanksgiving in my family. You really are like made fun of if you put Christmas music on before. But this season is, is a build-up. We're building up, right? It's Christmas. And, and we, we pray that we have Christmas lights and, and Christmas decorations. And you know we start our Christmas shopping. And we get this super excitement. And there's a season right now, the anticipation. And there's something magical in it. At least there is as a kid, right? I think there's, as families, right? There's something, that build-up and, and, and excitement. I think there's... Something similar at work here that Jesus is communicating. It's growing a longing, a hope, a focus. 
for those of you that wear Advent starts next week. Again, it's not just a, a Christmas thing. It actually is pointing to the second coming of Christ. That's what this season's about. And it ought to change not just the things that we do, but how we do the things. Our normal functions, every normal, everyday lives. So Jesus contrasts the, the wise, they're prepared. He contrasts the unwise, they're not prepared. And I think the third thing from this, this story is outwardly, the bridesmaids, the foolish ones, acted, they behaved, and conducted their lives in, in much the same manner as the wise bridesmaids. And I think we need to let that sink in for a moment this morning. Listen to what Jesus is saying. They're all bridesmaids in the wedding party. They're all on the outside connected to this, this party. But however, it doesn't, it doesn't matter they identify themselves in the bridal party because they're dismissed on the basis that they didn't prepare. They weren't able to perform their basic functions of bridesmaids. They weren't there when it mattered. They were somewhere else. They were gone. And I think this reminds us, or should remind us, and point us to another parable that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, where he talks about the seed and the sower. He says this in Matthew 13. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. And Jesus describes different seeds in this parable that, that lands on different soils. And, and I think here's a reminder that there, a lot of people are going to hear the good news, but, but some are going to drift and fall away. Some are going to be lured away by the, the cares of the world. And just like this story that Jesus is telling us this morning, they have the appearance of belief, but fall away and end up missing on eternal life. You see, this morning, it's not enough to, to act the part. Identify yourself as a believer and just try to fit in and go through the motions. Jesus says, hey, you will know them by their fruits. And how we are preparing for the next life reveals the, the fruit that we're going to produce in the present. How we're thinking about the future of Jesus coming. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says it this way. If you read history you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world are precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they become so ineffective, ineffective in this. And Jesus is reminding us this morning that how we live, how we prepare our life in anticipation and longing and hope of, of His coming has an eternal impact. Because just because we're saved by the gospel, by grace, it doesn't mean we just go out and do whatever we want with our lives. We don't get just a free pass. Because he wants to change us. He wants to transform us. We're entering into his kingdom. This is what the kingdom is. It's not just an amen, I say yes, and then I go do whatever. But he's inviting us in to something bigger than ourselves. He, he says, and we continually say this, that he's committed to our joy. This is where life is found. 
And this is the tension that we run across this morning. And that we keep running across in Matthew, right? That, that God belongs on the throne, but we keep putting these, these idols on the throne. We keep dethroning the king. I don't know if many of you have what you call a bucket list, which is just a list of things you, you want to get done. And I don't know, we're about to get to 2021. And at least in my family, we have like a bucket list of things we want to do and accomplish as a family. And I think what's hard about this passage for me is that Jesus coming back kind of feels like a strange reality because I, I, I always want Jesus to come back after I finish my bucket list. I don't know if that makes sense, but as, as a young person writes, like, I want, Lord, I want you to come back, but after I, I, you know, get married, have my family, have my kids, have my, my career, do all these things, you know, do my epic, you know, trip in Europe. And I, I think this is sometimes the tension that we have, right? It's, we have these things that, yeah, like, I want Jesus to come back. I hear what you're saying, God's word, but I really want to accomplish these things. And, and maybe there's a list or a checklist that you have as well this morning. And I'm not trying to knock you or knock myself. They're good things. But yet they are still idols if they're getting away of, of putting Jesus on the throne. And I believe Jesus is trying to confront us in this passage that the error of our ways by, by living with this mindset. You might recall in Matthew 6, he says, Seek first the kingdom. And then all these other things shall be added, right? He's going to take care of our needs. He's going to love and, and with it. And it's part of the kingdom promise, right? It's not, it's not like prosperity, but he's saying, hey, I seek first the kingdom. And then all these things that we worry about day to day and those kind of things, I'm, I'm going I'm to help you with that. And this morning, where is our treasure? Is it earthly? Is it, is it on the eternal things or is it in front of us as we continue to build our, our kingdom, as we prepare our lives and, and wake of all the dysfunction and all the things that are happening? Because the reality is, look, we love this life. I'll be the first to admit that. I love, I love my life. It doesn't mean you always like it. <laughs> you know, a lot of frustration happening right now with us, but we love our life. And, and the next life is always an afterthought. Eternal in heaven, it's an afterthought. As Jesus reminds us in Matthew, where your treasure is, there is where your heart's going to be. And what are those things in your life this morning? Those things that we're, we're holding on to, that we're obsessed, that might get in the way of having this, this eternal mindset that Jesus is pushing us towards. And they might be really good things. But do they, will they last? And compared to the kingdom, it does not perish. We're in Passion Week right now. Like this is the final buildup before Jesus is going to go to the cross and make all these things possible for us. And in his kingdom, this is, the, this is what he's done on the cross to make his kingdom possible. That he, he's going to bl- die and, and spill his blood for us and, and, and make it possible by his grace that we can, we can enter into a life with him. And Jesus is saying this is for our ultimate joy and ultimate fulfillment. As we keep saying that the kingdom is worth everything, but it's also going to cost something, right? It costs our, our self, our, our lives for him. And I was just thinking about just in the closing moments, just a, a couple closing thoughts about this passage. I think many of us are, are upset, frustrated, some of us are nervous and anxious about what is happening around us. And I know there's many of us that have, have felt the brunt of this pandemic personally. We've had job loss here, we have family loss, and I want to be sensitive to that. It's hard. And I think there's also, though, another group this morning in 2020 that haven't felt 
the same effects of this pandemic. In fact, it's just been a year of inconvenience, of kind of blowing up all your preparations and plans. And honestly, it's just been frustrating. And you might even say 2020 has just been the year of inconvenience. You've had to negotiate working with home and kids being home and all these just things and that you didn't have to consider for 2020. And you were killing your job, you were for promotion, you were working extra hard for that, that well-deserved vacation, it got canceled. It's just frustrating. And, and 2020 has shattered plans and, and preparations and you're here and still not sure what's going to happen in the future. And I just want to say this in light of this passage, I think that we can look at moments like these and, and be frustrated. I think that's fine. But can also just offer this, that I think there's something that could be redeeming in this moment as we think about the future, as we think about future preparation and planning. That I think COVID could share that life is temporary. <laughs> Plans and preparations go, they fade. All our hopes and, and dreams and all those things, at least for my life this year, like they fade, right? It just shows that how our hope and what the things that we put our hope in, how, how quick those things weigh. But Jesus is saying this, hey, like, the world is temporary. We're, we are citizens here temporary, right? This is a temporary thing. Our citizenship is in heaven. But the kingdom is forever. And just as each day we get closer to Christmas morning, right? This is anticipation, this buildup. And, and that's the hope of this passage, that we would be a people, that we would be a church longing for that day. Whether it be in our lifetime, whether we, whether we meet Jesus and, and give an account of our life one day before him in heaven. Our hope is not in the things of the world. For as we have seen this year, they are temporary, they are vanishing, and often flimsy. Rather, may we hope in the king that never fails. For his kingdom is unshakable, it's eternal. And this is why we commit ourselves to being on a park, freezing our butts off right now. <laughs> being a community, pushing ourselves. Encouraging one another with that hope, with that longing. Because we naturally gravitate toward our lives, to our little kingdom. We're pushing ourselves to His kingdom. Which will not go away. And I want to leave you with this verse this morning. I, I, Paul speaks about running the race. And I just think it's, it's appropriate application for us this morning as we think about preparation and, and running with that anticipation. Paul says this in, in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, and that the sin that so easily entangles let us run with perseverance, the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That we're in a race. That we're running and some of us are tired. Some of us are stressed. But we're not in this alone. He's given us the spirit to walk in us. He's given us this community. And may we long for that day. In a, in a world that is full of chaos. In a, in a time that is full of uncertainty. May we rest our hope in the key in his kingdom. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I'm just thankful that our hope ain't here. That our hope is in things that will not fade. This has been a year of a lot of uncertainty. But we can be certain that you are keen. And you're on your throne. And so we may be a people that we could continue to encourage, to edify one another.
for that longing, that anticipation, and that, Lord, there are so many things that are on our plate, but Lord, would it, would it shift, would it start to change the things that we do, Lord, as we look to the heavens and we look to the sky? Will we find ourselves prepared whenever that day comes? We pray all these things in your name. Amen.